My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope. Um, excited that you're here. Uh, we don't uh, always give updates. If you're new or visiting, we don't like every week have an update <laughs> ask, uh, for that. But it's as a family, it's important sometimes to stop and give each give updates and know where we're at. And um, I think that's really important to us. So uh, we are praying and excited every year. God shows us again how faithful he is. So we are thrilled about that. We um, are in a series our last week in the book of Romans uh, until uh, the new year. But we are, uh, just so you're aware, next week we're starting a, a short series we're going to be doing just focusing on Christmas that we're calling Born on Dust. We're going to be looking at uh, stories of births and how they point us to Jesus, uh, Jesus' birth. I'm very excited about it and um, I think it'll be a lot of fun uh, as an opportunity just to like, get excited about the birth of Jesus that's coming this morning. I was actually talking to another dad who uh, got to clarify with his kid that Jesus doesn't like, isn't born every year and then dies and then is born again. <laughs> they got to clarify. Maybe you've got to do that in your house. Uh, we're celebrating that Jesus was already born and died and is alive and well. Uh, but we just get to celebrate that great moment. I've shared this before. With this. I actually found a real picture of the gift uh, a few years ago. I think during COVID when we were online, I shared this, but this is one of my, the greatest gifts I ever gotten. This was the actual gift. Uh, came in this box. It was the Koss CD player. It had anti-shock car and home uh, abilities, which meant it had this platform you could put it on. They had springs so that it didn't shake in your car. Can you see the picture of this person? It actually, so you could sit on the seat next to you. You remember this when they had a tape thing you could put in your tape deck? It was the coolest thing ever. So I could play CDs in my car. Uh, it came with the bonus uh, power adapters, so I could just plug into my wall. And the coolest thing ever is it came with these really, really fancy speakers, so I could plug in. It was the full home audio system. Uh, and I, like Aaron, I had no idea. I was asking and thinking there's no way my parents could afford uh, this or be willing to. That was a huge ask to ask for my own CD player that I could listen to in my room on my own. Um, which meant that I had to get CDs. And I got this. And that Christmas, my grandma knew I was getting this, so she wanted to surprise me. And she got me a CD. Uh, and so I got this. And one of the next things I opened was uh, the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. Anyone get that double disc? I was like beyond thrilled. And then my grandma made us play it for everyone. <laughs> and it was really awkward. <laughs> and, she, and she kept saying, oh, this is nice. And... Uh, I don't think my grandma ever became a Smashing Pumpkins fan. Uh, but that was a magical day. I mean, a day where I was just overwhelmed. I remember multiple times going back and looking at it and thinking like, I can't believe my parents would do this. Like, there's just this, they, they really do love me, right? <laughs> this amazing gift. Today, we are looking at the end of Romans 8. This is the end of uh, uh, the series of Romans we've been doing for a long time now. And eight is right in the middle of the book. And it's really this great build that's come to this moment. And it's going to really relay the truths, these gifts that we've been giving, uh, given that really are the foundation of what it means to be a Christian, really the foundation of what it means to be a created person by God. And, and, and where joy comes from and peace comes from and all the gifts that we look for each day, uh, it, it builds up to this. It's a great week to get to celebrate it. And so we're in this book of Romans. We've been uh, uh, walking through this book together, being reminded. There's lots of resources uh, if you want to check them out on our app and online. We have a podcast walking through the book of Romans with our senior pastor, Steve, who founded Hope. Um, and there's also 
some scripture journals, but we're going to get right into it here uh, in the end of eight. So if you have a Bible and you want to read along, or all the passages will be right here in the, on the screen. I'm going to read the, the passage. This is it for today, just these, these verses. I'm going to read this just once through, so we kind of get a moment of it, let it wash over us, and then we'll just walk through it together. I'm excited to be reminded of these great truths. Here, Roman eight, Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as is written in Psalm 44, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am, I am sure that, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I think it's a great finale. It's a big exclamation point on all that we've been looking at here. So let's just take some time to walk through a little bit. And then I want us to sit in like, what does it look like then to be people who live in this real, real truth, this reality that we have? So we start here. What then shall we say to these things? You might've heard this verse is a popular verse is one you might have on, on a wall in a house. If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who's against us? This comes not out of nowhere. This comes from a lot of verses, a lot of truth that came before this of Paul, the person who wrote this letter to these people in this church in Rome saying, if these things are true, that we have been rescued from death, if we're no, no longer slaves to sin, but now we get to be heirs, we get to be adopted sons and daughters of God. If those things are true, then who could be against us? Why do we walk into things fearful? This is actually a truth that's the like OG original truth of, of, uh, uh, of lies that comes against a truth, this truth that God is for us. But way, way back in Genesis, God creates everything and it's good and perfect and he's with his people and then a serpent comes and, and sneaks in a, a lie that then people begin to believe and then it, it turns them away from God and ultimately away from what they've been created for and, and what really brings joy and peace. It's the same question that we hear over and over. It's really the foundation of, uh, of brokenness and sin and this curse we feel. This is from Genesis 3, right after God's created all things and it's all good. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He comes to the woman. He says to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat of the tree of the fruits, uh, of the fruit of the trees in the garden. She's like, no, no, he said we could eat of the, of the fruit. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And in the middle of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So she's repeating what God has said to her. This is true. God says, hey, I have all this for you, and there's a tree. I don't want you to eat the fruit of that tree. It'll actually kill you. It'll actually bring death to you. And so he's setting up, setting up how the world works so that life can come to his people and not death. 
And the serpent says, did he really say that? And so then it goes on. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So you want to summarize that. God is not for you. He's not with you. He's, he's trying to keep something from you. He doesn't want your best. He's not for you. And this then, if we believe this, which they did, they ate of that fruit and what happened? Death came. God was right. Death came and brokenness and we continue to, to feel that brokenness in our world because we believe this first thing. I think it's uh, incredible that Paul shares that in this passage. He says, God is for us. If all these things are true that we've been talking about, that, that Christ has died and rose so that you would not die, then how could we say God is not for us? God is for us. He's going right to the root of like, remember way, way back, this is the same lie we keep believing. And all that comes from it, all that grows out of it, uh, if we start believing God is not for us. And he says he is. In fact, we know because he, he doesn't even spare his own son. He's willing to give his son for us a gift so that we could have life. How could that God not graciously give us all things, all that we need. So he continues on then. Uh, who shall, he, he asked a few more questions. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who, who can come and say these people are guilty, right? Condemn them. God justifies. Who is, who is to condemn? We just heard this earlier in Romans 8, that there's no condemnation. The beginning of Romans 8. Why? Because Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, he's the one who rose and he's at the right hand of God now. There's the whole like gospel, one little sentence there, right? That Christ came and died and then he rose and is now on his throne and alive in heaven at the right hand of God interceding for us. So who, who can they, you go, ah, is he for me? But I'm condemned. No, Christ was condemned so that we would have life and we'd be set free. And so then who can separate us from this love of Christ? Who can do it? Is it tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, all these really hard things, nakedness or danger or the sword. Can those things come and separate us from Christ who's come to rescue us and now sits on his throne? And in fact, he then quotes Psalm 44 too, which is a psalm that really cries out in a lot of honesty and transparency of how hard it is. God, where are you? This is really hard. Are you still here? Have you left us? Have you separated from us? Just a little glimpse into Psalm 44. This is just kind of a where this passage comes into play. It's a lot longer than this, but all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. So this is God's people talking to God. We haven't forgotten you. We, we haven't been false to your covenant, covenant being this relationship, this faithful kind of forever relationship. Uh, our heart has not turned back nor have our steps departed from your way, yet you have broken us in the place, uh, you've broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul's saying, what can separate us from the love of Christ? All these hard Hard things, and he even quotes this great psalm to say, This has been a, a statement. We might make this statement. 
Where are you, God? Are you separated from us? It feels like this has been going on for a long time, this brokenness, this alone feeling, this disconnectedness with God. And he finishes it. No. And all these things, we're more than conquerors. Even in the midst of those really hard things, really hard things, using words like, uh, being just left for dead is strong language because it does feel that way. That, that doesn't mean Christ has left us or separated from us. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ, through him who loved us. For he's convinced he's going to list even more things that might feel like they separate us. For neither death nor life or angels or rulers or present things or things to come or powers or height, or death, or anything, if you're wondering, anything in all of creation cannot separate us from this love of Christ. Uh, Dr. Adi says this, the answer to this question is the climax of Paul's argument concerning the security of the believer. He mentioned seven situations which he himself had experienced that can stand between God and us. Trouble and hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. The love of Christ does not stop us from experiencing these things, but it carries us through them. That's a very different way to think about this. Having looked at everything in life, Paul knows that nothing whatsoever can separate us from the love of Christ. Like in the midst of that, we might think, this is really hard. He must not love me. He wants to just give me like uh, good, happy, comfortable things, forgetting that uh, if we forget really the rest of Romans and that, we have really brought this on ourselves as we turn from him and this brokenness, the real miracles that Christ has come to rescue us. In fact, Psalm, the psalm goes on to say this. We had this last week, but this is a, one of those moments in Scripture where a verse gets shared really in the hopes, I think, that we go to the actual, the original. We, last week we talked about where Jesus says, uh, God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? And it goes to Psalm 22. Well, this is from Psalm 44. And listen to the way Psalm 44 ends. I think it like, it sets us up. It's a cliffhanger to the great news that we hear in our passage. So right after we hear, yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are guarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The Psalm goes on, awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affection and our oppression? That's that's where you'd be feeling like, where are you? Have you separated yourself from us? Where have you gone? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Crying out, God, come help. Redeem us. We know that you have steadfast love. What is, does that love not bring you to us? And it does. This is what's incredible. The end of this psalm, we could be like, oh, I hope he comes. And we know the story doesn't end there, that Christ does come. There's many, many passages, but just a classic passage, right? That reminds us of this from John 3:16. For God so loved the world, his steadfast love didn't end, didn't dissipate, didn't separate us. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Come for us, and he does. He sends his son. He's even willing to give his son to spare his only son so that we could have life. And his son comes and is willing to die for us, pay our penalty, suffer for us, and then offer us life as he raises from the dead. 
as he, as he ascends to his throne. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He does come. Where are you, God? Come. And he does come. He does show up. He hasn't gone anywhere. Our fear should not be connected or drawn. I hope God is not here. Our fear should be that we can't be close to him. Tim Keller says the only thing that we would really have to fear that would really harm us is to be separated from the love of Christ. And thank God that's not true. The only thing that we really have to fear is being separated. The really only harm that comes to us is being separated from Christ. And he doesn't let that happen. He comes to us. Look at these words that he uses uh, in here. What could separate us? I think it's a good list. These are things I often feel, whether distracted by, like I have to look to because they're so hard and hurtful and painful and they're like right in my face, or they're just things that over time kind of wear on me and I go like, yeah, maybe he's not for me and with me and maybe he doesn't love me. Words that you might have even heard, used, or experienced in a relationship. These are things I've experienced from another person and I, I clearly... I wouldn't use the word love to describe them, right? Tribulation and distress, persecution and famine, nakedness. This, this one struck me this week because I, um, not just like actual literal nakedness, but like just being like exposed. And I feel like uh, it's really hard to really be transparent or authentic because if I was, then nobody would be my friend. I don't know if you ever felt this, or if I say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, I'm going to feel like I'm, I'm not, like, not welcome. So is my transparency, like, can I be my whole self? Would God still love me? Would he still want to come after me? This is what, what's wild is he knows you even more than you know yourself. He knows, like, whatever authentic Drew is more than I really know who authentic Drew is, and he still comes after me and rescues me and loves me. Even in the midst of really hard things of danger, even in the midst of really good things. I like that he mentions uh, like death can't separate us. Christ has died and rose, so death can't. But even life, I think sometimes things get so good that I also feel distracted like I want to turn away. I want to go, this looks pretty awesome. This must love me more than Christ ever could of things presently that are happening or even things to come. He just covers all the bases. Even stuff that's going to happen to you, nothing that could happen, nothing that you're worrying about right now could ever separate you from the love of Christ. There's nobody who is ever in charge as a ruler. There's no angel, spiritual being that's going to come and separate you from this. There's no depth or height. There's nowhere. You can't, get, you can't get away from this love. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Um, this picture, I mean, can you imagine this? I, this week we uh, finally watched, um, many of you know this, but we love watching The Chosen. It's a show that's based on the life of Christ. Uh, I love it. I cry. This week, I, my daughter asked if we could watch it. And she's like, you want to watch The Chosen Dad and cry? Because she knows I cry every time. <laughs> I was like, I do, I'm already crying. I'm like thinking about it. 
I love it. I'm like, I love that you know I cry because <laughs> it talks about Jesus, Dad. You makes you cry. Um, this week we finally watched the last episode of the last season. So if you haven't watched it, huge spoiler. I, I want to show you this last moment. Uh, it's just, I'm reading this passage and I'm watching this. This moment is a moment where um, Simon, who's Peter, uh, and his wife uh, have been really struggling because they have a miscarriage. Um, and so this is some of where, like, in The Chosen, they have built story around the gospel stories. Um, and they're really struggling with something very real. Does Jesus love us? Because really hard things are happening to us. And, and Simon is with Jesus while he's healing people. But his wife is at home suffering, grieving a miscarriage. And he's saying, I'm close to you. And I'm, I've, given, I've given up my job and my life to follow you. And, and then this is what you give me. You can't like heal us and give us a good life because of, but you're giving these other random people, these strangers we meet, you're healing Jesus. Which is so, I mean, that alone, right? That's, I'm with them. I get it. I don't, what's going on, Jesus? And so they have this, all these things happen. They just fed all of these people. And Simon is, is uh, distraught. He's upset. And he says, I, you just fed all these people, Jesus, but my wife is at home. And so this last scene is a scene that cuts between uh, his experience seeing Jesus on a stormy sea, which is very distracting and troubling and scary. And in a moment, uh, and it cuts to his wife who's going through like a Jewish uh, cleansing ritual in a bath. And so that's why, what's happening here. But I, I want to I show this to you because I think this shows, it makes me feel and experience by watching it, really what this passage is saying. All these things around us, uh, is, he, is Jesus really still, is his love still there? Is he still with me? Uh, answer is yes, but I want you to just take this in. This is a longer clip. I think it's five, six minutes. Just uh, take this in, experience this, experience, and uh, maybe consider even what, what does this look like for you in your life? So nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. I think the image I uh, sometimes like to think of is like Christ is over there and I'm like running to him and he lets me come uh, to him. Like nothing gets in my way. I think this helps me remember like that I'm really sinking and he's, and he's reached in and grabbed me. It's not, that, it's not that I can get to him. It's that he keeps coming after me. That's a really big deal. And we know this is true. How do we know this is true? Because we just read uh, chapters one through eight of Romans and all it tells us over and over is that we're sinking people who are doomed and that a God who loves us dearly has come to rescue us. Over and over and over again. It's a, it's a gift that we're given that we should just lose our minds because we just got the bow and arrow we wanted or we just got the CD player we wanted. Uh, not, well, now a few years ago, eight years ago, this was the gift that got squeals in our house. This, we were so excited. We knew Zariah opened this and she screamed and screamed and screamed and wouldn't stop hugging us and for days told people, my parents love me. They got me the whole Barbie princess set. Such a simple thing. But this isn't one gift that kind of fades. Those, those Barbies I don't think exist or their hair's all cut off now or I think some of the heads might have popped off. <laughs> that gift doesn't get that reaction anymore. We have a gift that doesn't 
that sustains, right? And we don't just have a gift. We have like gift after gift after gift after gift after gift that God just keeps laying on us and in front of us. And the book of Romans, I think, lays this out for us. This is a moment where Paul goes, I want you to understand if this is all true, holy cow, this changes every moment of your life because God has not left you and will not leave you. Here's just quick, quick I went, hey, what has Romans told us? It's remind us that we're loved by God and called to be saints, that we're all under sin deserving wrath, but we are blessed because our deeds are forgiven, our sin has been covered. God does not count our sins against us because of Christ. Christ was delivered up for our trespasses, raised for our justification. We're justified by faith. Now it's our faith in Christ that brings us to him. Not because we did a bunch of stuff. We have peace with God. We have access to grace. We get to rejoice in hope and a future. We get able to rejoice even in the midst of suffering. Our suffering is not wasted God pours his heart into us. It tells us in 5.5, what an amazing image. We're given the Holy Spirit. Christ dies for us, shows his love for us. We're united with God. We're no longer enslaved, but free from the power of sin. Brought from life to death, we can bear fruit. That's incredible. We're not only rescued, but now he's gonna use us. We get to serve in the spirit. There is no condemnation. We get to call God Abba, Father. We are adopted children of God. We are known, called, justified, and glorified by God, this is great news. And this tells us as we open each of those gifts, we get to, to squeal with excitement and say, yeah, Abba, Father, yes, you'd never leave us. And there's nothing that can separate us. And all the foundational truths of the gospel are, are told to us in this great passage that God is for us, that he graciously gives things to us, that Christ died so we could be justified, that God is interceding for us that we're now more than conquerors and nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Eugene Peterson in the message uh, sums up the end of Romans 8 like this. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Right? Don't let me go. That's what got me. Don't let me go in the video. I, that, that's the position we get to be in. That's the position of crying out, Abba, Father, don't let me go. And he doesn't. And he does not. Let us go. What does that look like in our lives then? So as we come to the end uh, here of Romans 8 and our, our uh, message here today, what does it look like to be people who then believe that? What would it look like to people who believe God actually has pursued us and rescued us? I just want to show you a quick moment in the life of Paul and what this might look like in our lives uh, before we just sing here together. This is, uh, this is Paul who wrote this letter to the Romans, but Paul before was actually a very successful leader, uh, actually doing something very different. Uh, this is just from the book of Acts, uh, two moments in Paul's life. I want you to see the difference. And when he actually comes to faith and says, I believe what Christ has done is true. I believe that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. But first, he saw, he says, uh, there's an execution that happens in the book of Acts uh, in chapter 7. And it says, Saul approved of this execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. It's persecution. That was a word we saw. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen, who was executed, 
for his faith and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering home after house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So Saul went from a life of, uh, of putting people in prison for their faith to then in Acts 16, not that long after we get to hear about Paul, how Paul, he himself finds himself in prison. But now a different person. Now changed, his heart gone from stone to flesh. He's alive in Christ. He believes that nothing can separate him from, from God. And so here's what happens. Him and Silas are put in prison. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God in prison. What does it look like to be imprisoned for your faith? He could be singing Psalm 44, right? What have you done to me, God? I put faithful in you. And you, instead they're singing hymns to God because they know even in prison, I can't be separated from my God. And the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. They're singing, they're praising. There's an earthquake. The, the prison shakes and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bounds were unfastened. How cool is that? How they're worshiping. Like what a picture of what worship is. Like un, the chains fall off of them as they're worshiping. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped, probably feeling like, I did not do my job. I just lost prisoners. I will be executed for this. My life's over. And so the prisoner, the, the prison guard at this point says, I'm just going to take my own life because it's done. I've, I've messed up. Paul cried with a loud voice. He's there. He says, do not harm yourself for all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Now they could stay in prison because they know nothing separates them from the love of Christ. They know their identity, their position, where they are right where they're at. God is there with them there. So they, they don't even need to run out of a prison. And I don't know if like the spirit had, had already indicated to Paul, like, hey, there's actually a jailer. I need you to, you're here to minister to this jailer to let him know that he does, his, his life is not over. It's actually just beginning. So he cries out, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And he, he, he looks, turns on the lights, rushes in, and trembling with fear, they fell down before Paul and Silas. These people had heard them worshiping. They had seen people who knew the truth. They were not separated from the love of Christ. People who were actually free, chained up, and people who are not free, who are outside the jail. It, it really flips it on its head. They come to them and they cry out, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I want to be free like you are. Can you imagine a, a jailer talking to a prisoner saying, I want to be free like you are? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Put your faith in him and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all, and to all were in his household. And he took them the same hour and that night and washed their wounds. And, and he was baptized at once, and he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. In that one night, they're imprisoned. And by the end of that night, they're having a feast with the prison guards who now all have faith in Christ. It's insane. Insane. But I think this is what it looks like. When we have a life 
where we actually believe nothing can separate me from the love of Christ and all that comes with it, that God is for me, that he's willing to go on a cross for me and rescue me. All that changes where we no longer feel when I'm in prison, I don't spend the whole time thinking, oh, I'm in prison. Oh, this is so hard. We go, I can still praise God here. He's still here. And what does he have for me here? He has this prison guard. I guess I'm here for this. And not only does he say, hey, I'm free. I'm going to run. Paul goes, I'm already free. So why not while I'm here, gather some more for the family. Let some others know that they have adoption in God. We get to be people who bring good news to those around us. The good news that there is nothing that can separate them from the love of God pretty incredible news. And we're free to do that because we don't have to spend our days figuring out what to do with all this stuff around us, all this hardship around us. I'm going to invite our worship team up. We're going to actually spend some time singing hymns together, worshiping. This is why we get together and do this. Hopefully the ground doesn't shake and things break, but who knows? Be ready to see what happens. I got a couple questions and thoughts for you to consider as we respond to the gospel. Um, We respond in lots of ways here. One is just considering these things. Have you received this gift of Christ? Have you received it and went, wow, this this is what I've been looking for. Maybe today you have and today is a day to say it again. What storms, consider what storms have distracted you. Take your gaze from Jesus, even if he feels like he's right in front of you. What does it look like to continue to look at Jesus and what has been distracting? What does it feel like? But something uh, can separate us. Is there something that feels like it can separate you from Christ? What is that thing? Why, why? I, I have to consider like, why do I think this thing can separate me from Jesus? I think it's so much more powerful than it is. And you might even need to say it. You're not more powerful than Jesus. You can't separate me from him. And who, who do you know that needs to know there's unseparable love? Oh, that's good news. Let me pray for us here. Uh, first, though, just we have communion. It's an opportunity. Remember, Jesus' body broken, his blood shed. We do that. Um, we ask that you're a, a follower of Jesus, so it's meaningful to you. Uh, but you don't have to be a member here of Hope. We do that outside in the hallway. There's communion tables on both sides. We have juice and crackers. Uh, we also do that through giving. You can do that. There's a box out on the communion table out on this side um, or online. We do that through prayer. There's people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you. Please take them up on that as an opportunity just to to be cared for. And of course, we'll sing. Our worship team will lead us in singing some of those sweet hymns together. Uh, let me pray for us as we get into a time here to respond. Lord, you are uh, here. You have rescued us even when we couldn't get to you. You came to us. I pray that very real, that reality that nothing can separate us from your love would settle into us, would soak our hearts and our minds and we carry that with us. In this season when um, uh, there can sometimes be a kind of a facade of, of excitement and joy, and inside there seems to be lots of turmoil and tribulation and hurt and even just feeling naked and in danger, that we know that you're still right here with us. I pray, Lord, we would embrace you and cry out to you to not leave us. And be reminded that you don't. You're good to us, Lord. I pray now as we sing that these words would be true and they would minister to us in our hearts. Amen.